being able to discuss things with customers or prospects or users um, is is critical. I mean, yeah, sure, you can put out a survey and maybe that'll reach more people in less amount of time. Um, but people are are not as likely to spend the time and effort to expand upon their their answers, especially if you only give them a li limited number of things that they can check box or you know hit the radio button for us you know, for a choice. Uh, even the you know what else would you like to say? They're not going to sit there and spend 10, 15, 30 minutes, you know, writing out all of their thoughts. Uh, whereas a discussion itself, if you're really trying to to validate and then follow up with discovery of what next or how well this is doing it, sure, it, it answers the it solves the problem, but does it do it well? Is it something that you would pay money for? I mean, those other critical questions, you can only really get honestly through a discussion and, and not a phone call because so much of conversation is, or communication is nonverbal. And so being able to, to interact with, with another human in real time is the only way that you're going to get 100% accuracy or close to it for um, validating what you've done, what you want to do. Product Growth Leaders proudly presents Product Conversations. I'm Grant Hunter, co-founder of Product Growth Leaders and the host and facilitator for these conversations. On a weekly basis, we explore product management and leadership topics through interactive conversations with our product leader panelists. Conversations that will challenge you to think about your thoughts on the topic and perhaps get you to change your mind. Listen, subscribe, and add your voice to the conversation every week in the Product Growth Leaders community. Hello, everybody. Grant Hunter here with another Product Growth Leaders Conversations. Steve, I have to thank you. A couple of weeks ago, you recommended this little yellow book here, The Right It to Me. Mm -hmm. And boy, it may be the best product management I book I read since. Oh, wait, a book next to it. There we go. It's in the product. <laughs> uh, but it really got me thinking about how bad I did at validating. Uh, <laughs> concepts when I was a product manager and product leader uh, and went back to our logs and we have not talked about validation for over two years. I think it was like fall of 2020, not 2000, 2020. But the more we talk about some, and we're doing some stuff now, validation is probably one of these critical things that product managers should be thinking about often. Agreed. Uh, and yet, you know, as we've talked about before, um, for many product managers, the idea of validating is just a foreign language, largely because many product managers don't ever engage with customers or potential customers. Yeah. And, and if we look at product management as a risk management role, isn't validation one of the critical tools we should be using for risk management? So. Definitely. We, we are going to be talking about validating product ideas uh, this week. And on Monday, uh, we put a question in the community. How do you best use validation to improve product success? Uh, Danny Maravellis, who could not be with us, came through with a great list, as she always tends to. Restate, articulate the discovery effort and validation to clearly define the problem they're solving. Map the discovery and validation back to your strategy. Uh, formulate a hypothesis and plan to conduct further validation. Test, check your assumptions and hypotheses. Focus, implement, measure, report, adjust. Uh, you know, very clear, consistent. Let's do this. We need to do this as part of it. And Paul Hatala, Paul, uh, over the past couple of months, you've been bringing fire in your answers in the community and in the poll. And every week I keep going, God, I hope Paul joins. God, I hope Paul joins. And I'm so glad to have you back and we've, we've missed you. For validation, you tend to look at the world through the sales lens and consider things that will prevent revenue from being realized. And to me, I thought that was an amazing, I, I always tend to look at it from the idea, sort of almost from upstream to downstream and where I like the idea of looking at the other way. Talk to me about your thoughts. So I think that's probably from the Roger Martin School of Strategy of what are the things that could fail and how about we don't do those things. Um, and so I've been in... <laughs> I've been in enough development and, and customer facing roles where I've looked back and said, boy, we could have done this a lot better six months ago. 
And now I'm that guy making those decisions six months ago. So looking at it and saying, how can I make uh, make our teams, our development and our sales teams lives a lot easier whenever we are getting ready to go to market? Do I have an answer for them on the uh, on the who, the why and the why nots? Yeah. And well, you know, with me quoting Roger Martin or Peter Drucker always yes. like gets an automatic nod. That's why I always have them ready to go. <laughs> but I think it's, you know, it's really, it's really nice. Cause if we, if we do our validation, well, we almost create validation questions for sales, right? Yeah. We, we, we can go through and understand these things that we think, and we can, we can help them better enable. And, you know, we, Steve and I were talking with uh, Barb Nelson from our team uh, yesterday and, you know, over time, we've realized that in sales, win loss analysis and in interviews, we find that sales enablement sometimes is always the worst is, is the biggest area of improvement where you can make the most impact. So I love this idea of, of looking it through lens and the sales lens and see what can we do and how can our validation help uh, with that. So which, which takes us all through to validating our messaging and our positioning and, you know, even what we do with presentations. It's not just validating it up front. It's validating all the way through. I think Drucker might have also said something about it. it's just obvious to the customer that it's yeah. for them. <laughs> yeah. We the only only person who can tell you what the customer values is the customer themselves, is 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 what Drucker said. So I think that's an incredible way to, to do that. Uh May, you shared a great piece from uh Edomar Galad on uh the confidence level. And actually the in in the right it he talks about building some level of confidence indicator for that. So talk to me about your thoughts. Uh, so Itamar wrote a piece about how do you measure your actual level of confidence? And, it, and the article goes through the different stages at which point to do discovery um, in order to affirm your assumptions. Now, uh, it depend, depending on which phase it is, you get a, a better picture of like how confident should you be about what you think you know. Um, and I think it's important to, to realize that everything that we know is what we think we know, right? Unless if it's, you know, purely logic factual, right? Like, yeah. and that's, that doesn't exist. Um, and I think it's important to recognize that some of the things we think we believe are actually just assumptions, right? Um, and, but it doesn't make sense to go and validate everything all the time. Uh, there are some things that are safe to assume and some things that aren't, but I think it's good to take a step back and think about it. Now, you'll, you'll hear that in my response, I did not say the word validation because the word validation is actually really, really heavy from a classic industry perspective because um, when the, the first corporate job I've ever had was in a pharmaceutical company and if you say the word validation, it is like process upon process upon process of like, you know, everything has to be signed three times and then signed by the upper management. Like mm -hmm. it, it is, it is a heavy, heavy thing. And then when I joined the software company, they actually had a validation team, but it had nothing to do with the customer idea. It had everything to do with those models that we built. So it is, th there are, important it is important to differentiate what we mean by validation here like are we trying to validate our assumptions at which point would not would it not be better to say we are confirming our assumptions because yeah. like um the the thing about validation is if you want to validate one idea your results is a yes or no Whereas if you switch the the terminology around and say, we're not validating this idea, we are making sure, we are confirming that this is actually the right thing for the market, or like we are seeing how the product performs in the market, then you get more answers than just a yes and no. And you are no longer performing a validation exercise, you are performing a discovery exercise. So so many places I want to go with this. And, and, and one of them is I need to look at some of our stuff when we talk about validation, maybe change the terminology. Uh, but the first one was, it made me think about Roger Martin, uh, where he says, maybe we need to flip it, what we're validating instead of, you know, what, what is not, it's like, he talks about what would have to be true. So if we can understand what would have to be true for something, it's not, 
it gets a little away from the hypothesis and the pure scientific method of validating a yes, no hypothesis. Uh, the second was in, in his latest book, uh, Bob Mesta and his learning to build, which is his latest book, he talks about too often when we do experimentation, we're doing A, B trade-offs that don't take into consideration other factors. And I loved your idea of how we need to get away from just this yes, no, and maybe look broader than that. Does that make sense? Yes, but I would like to point out that there is a legitimate case for the validation, especially in highly regulated industries. Um, mm -hmm. There are places where you do want validation, where you do want that yes, no, and there are places where you don't want that yes, no, or don't want that to be the confines of your outcome. Well, and even time, go ahead. How could you validate your assumptions? I mean, or not just do market discovery, but say, you know, our assumptions were, and the critical assumptions were, you know, A, B, C, and then validate those individually. So here's here's the thing. It's like, um, can if if you're testing, will A make an impact? Why not change the wording around and say, what is the impact of A on the market? Right. So the outcome you're looking for is not a yes or no answer. Well, and and too often when we do, the, at least when I see these surveys, and and we'll talk about that when we get to our poll, people are using a Likert scale one to five and using a five or numbers of four and five as their validation and their which is they're asking a yes no question and not giving a yes no option in the answer uh, i saw one company using if they said five that means they're willing to pay i'm like how do we know that if they said it's very important they're willing to pay it just is something they see is very important uh one thing i like to do is is when we set up these tests I don't like yes, no tests, but what, what are the validation, you know, what, what levels do you have to get to? Let's use these things and put them. And if you don't put, I was talking to a client yesterday, I'm like, too often we do a survey and we never set, what is the threshold? Okay, 60% have to be important or very important for us to say this is a good idea. They don't put that down there. And then it comes in at 40s, they're like, oh, that's not bad. I thought it was gonna be higher, but it's not bad. So part of it is gonna be, how do we make sure we set, some thresholds with this when we do. I got to get so many things in my head right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna give myself time to process by going to Dutch. Dutch, well, he start Dutch start off the easy way that we could anybody could always start with. I agree with May. I mean that's sort of a I, given. I think I think I'm a 50 50 on that. We usually when I follow May, she says very similar to what I'm thinking or just paraphrases it differently. Uh, but yeah, I, I do agree that validation is a yes, no. And so how to best use validation is to go from that validation binary choice of yes, no into a discovery, uh, you know, basically saying, hey, does this um, solution resolve the situation, problem, pain point, challenge, whatever word you're trying to use, does this solve the, solve the problem we're trying to solve for? Yes or no? Well, how well does it solve for that? Is there anything else now that you have this opportunity and the value that we're providing you, what else can be gone from this point now that we've checked that box of validation? So it just mm -hmm. goes right into the, the learning aspect of discovery after you've validated with a yes, no. And, and with, with Paul's comment on sort of the sales side of it, some of those problems we're gonna ask are, you know, does this customer under does the prospect understand the value we deliver? Do they understand the problem we think we right. can? So sometimes it's not always the problem in their lens. What problem do yeah. they have? It's do we solve their problems? Do we can communicate properly? And I think that there's a I, I love that 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 view of it. Uh, and I do agree. You said you know we should be continuing de delivering uh, validating throughout the process throughout the life cycle. Uh, and, and that's one thing we do, we, we lean into and we, we talk about a lot. Uh, Clint, uh, you go right there, right? For validation to be really effective, it's required through the development process and because of shifts and disruptions. Talk to me about what you're thinking. So really, you know, kind of in line with everybody else, it has to have value. So, you know, my perspectives on that is that if you don't do it, there's a possibility of Clint, I think you froze. All you right. Know, you do, 
correctly and then you don't follow up with it, it can really detrimentally impact the launch of your product, the, punk, the performance to the business case, customer satisfaction. So, you know, we talked, um, we talked during discovery about different vehicles and, you know, if you've got a big budget, if you've got a small budget, you can do qualitative, you can do quantitative. So one of the things I did when I didn't have a big budget is that we had a small group of customers that was based on the different market segments. So we had large customer, medium customer, small customers, typically two or three, and we had a grouping. And even though they may have competed with each other, the feature set that we were looking to validate had value to all. So we would either do them in a group or we would have individual one-on-one -on -one meetings. And we do it monthly or bi-monthly and leverage their feedback on kind of iterative validation. So it was really a great tool, didn't cost anything. And it also brought the customer much closer to you because you're investing in them relative to the value of their feedback in your development cycle. So it really had a benefit in two ways in that they provided you with very insightful feedback and collectively they are also potential candidates for new products, new features, whether it be an extension or a ground up new product development. So I think it's a real critical aspect of the overall development process and you can have a lot of different vehicles. If you've got a bunch of money, then you can do more of a quantitative um, or you can do the, either the yes, no, or I'm actually more of a fan of the one to five versus a hard yes or no, because a lot yeah. of times the customer don't know, and they may lean to an area if they're not comfortable, they may give you the wrong answer. So that's why I like, you know, I like having a group that you can basically communicate with on a monthly or bi-monthly basis um, that may or may not be possible depending on the product or the scope, um, typically for larger capital equipment where you're not doing huge volumes, it's something that's more realistic versus if you're doing a software product for thousands. But again, it really depends on the application. But no, yeah. I, no, I completely agree. And I love the idea. I used to call it the friend DA, right? We want the things that we can share may not have an NDA with them, but we trust them because they're a partner. They've been doing this type of stuff with us and it's a great way to do it. Uh, to, to the one other the one other thing that resonated was about, you know, if it's a value, would you pay for it? And the customers would say, yes, you can't walk away with that as an answer, right? So we were developing a, a program that would basically do self-diagnostics and it would provide all sorts of performance metrics and literally tell what customer, tell a customer what machine, what job, and what operator would best run it. And they were like, yeah, this is great. This is phenomenal. And then... <laughs> This wasn't my project. They rolled it out and nobody wanted to pay for it. So it was like they didn't do enough due diligence up front on what's the value relative to the payment. And is there enough benefit, even though it's a great idea and everybody was overly optimistically enthused about it, come time to execute against that, it just didn't go anywhere. So it may have now, but over the course when we developed it, it was, it just didn't work out. Yeah, I, that, I found that surveys are not a great way to find true buying intention. Uh, one of the things in in the right it is he talks about prototypes, which is a pretend prototype. Can you without building? Can you do something to see if people will put money down? Uh, time is okay, money is better, uh, and that really gets to something under that. The other thing that I thought about, I like Likert scales, but when I'm talking through multiple problems to solve or things that value points, I also like a stack rank with it because. If you get a whole bunch of 4.5s, right? How do we know which of the 4.5s would be preferred in order? In uh, you know, uh, but I guess that's that's a cheap person's conjoint analysis. But uh, but you can always go back. I mean, what we did after you know, if we did that, then we go back and accumulate the data. We would basically do that, and then we would say, hey, can we come back to you and help you have you guys stack rank? So that yeah. was another that was another part of the process as well. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Clint. You bet. Uh, Leslie, welcome to uh, the conversation. So glad to have you here. Love to get your take Thanks. on this. How do you best use validation to improve product success? Um, this is something that's been on my mind quite a bit lately because um, we have been working on a new product and we're trying, it's, it's really more than a new product. It's like a new market. And it, it's, it's involved with, uh, you know, there's a lot of change management around it and so forth. So, uh, the way we've decided to go about it, we, we had started looking at surveys and various ways to gather input and really found that 
um, doing more, it, it takes more time, but doing those detailed voice of customer interviews, one-on-one -on -one with customers, giving them trial access to what we're coming up with and really diving into you know, where they're seeing the value, I think is, and it's changing our perception a little bit. And I think that's something that, that you have to keep in mind is, um, you know, you start off and, and you've created this product with um, certain goals in mind and certain things, it, but you've always got to keep an open mind to question those and make sure that you're on the right track and adjust if needed, depending on, on how you're, you're, uh, the data comes out that you do collect, whether it's, you know, through a survey or through conversations or through some kind of stack rake or whatever method you want to use. And I think that's really important um, to, to keep that open mind. I actually, years ago, worked for a company that, um, you know, they had a mantra. They, they created solutions for the distribution center and they were voice only as the way to go for years and years. That was their mantra. It was voice, voice recognition only, voice-driven workflows. And um, they, they did a lot of research, engaged a third party to help us do a lot of research and interviewed existing customers and people who weren't our customers. And they had to keep an open mind when it came back that people were really thinking, well, voice combined with scanning is actually more efficient. It was a real paradigm shift for the company and being able to um, embrace that feedback and, and make that change. I mean, a lot of our resellers are like, wow, I would have never thought that you, you made that change, but you have to listen to the customers. You've got to listen to the the pain points and the value that you're providing and make sure your solutions are gonna meet those needs. Completely and totally. So side note, we're gonna have to have a conversation because I, I was the head of RFID standards at GS1 US. And so <laughs> I probably know the company you're talking about because uh, we had a <laughs> you lot probably of do. People, we've had a lot of those people in our partner programs. Uh, but uh, you know, bringing it back on course, I started off saying I probably was really bad at validation. I didn't do the surveys as much. I probably didn't do, but I did conversations. And so your voice of the customer type stuff, once I had an idea, and we'll get to this a little more in the, in the, in the poll, it was talking through people about the concepts, right? Here's what's on my mind. Here's what we're thinking. Here's what I understand. And sometimes those personal conversations can do a very good job of validation. Uh, and sometimes to Clint's point, if you don't have the budget to do it, sometimes you need to, to find your own way of doing it. I was talking to a, a good friend uh, who's a UX lead yesterday, and he said, you know, the most important stuff for him, and this goes to your talking about the, the voice control with, with scanning, was going and spending time. He and the head of product would went out and actually spent time with the customer and watched their processes and found stuff. Uh, I, I remember Jason Weber, who's been on these calls, talking about people building computers for industrial equipment and not taking into consideration the environmental factors of dust and dirt and stuff like that. It's like if you're not out there, you know, there's so many things we should be able to do. Uh, great, great. Thank you for your uh, great first take. Uh, Steve, I got so much in my head and I'm hoping you help me clarify it. Uh, well, I don't know if that's true, but as I was listening to everyone else, I was reminded of the debacle that was known as New Coke, which was they wanted to validate that everybody loved New Coke. And the problem was they did it wrong. They gave you a blind taste test. Here's Old Coke. Here's Pepsi. Here's New Coke. Which one do you like better? Which one is your favorite? And everybody chose New Coke because in a, in a, a uh, well, two things. One, people always choose the sweetest drink. What they didn't ask is what kind of brand loyalty do you have to Coke? I'm, I'm one of those people who go to a restaurant and they, I'll say, can I have a Coke? And they say, well, we have Pepsi. I'm like, I'll have tea. You know, yeah. I just, Pepsi's terrible. Everyone knows that. But I'm also from the South. So maybe that's part of it. But anyway, what they didn't do is apparently they gave everybody in the taste test a case of new Coke to take home with them. And they never thought to circle back around. And it turned out no one ever finished 
their case of Cokes because it's so bad yeah. in volume, right? So yeah. by the end of the week, everybody was back to original Coke, which they were finding, you know, in, in abandoned sheds uh, all over the world or whatever. But um, there was a brand thing that they ignored. But But more than that, it was just one short validation based on a sip of a sweet drink is not good validation. Well, what's the old line? There's lies, damn lies, and statistics. And so if we're relying on statistics, whether it's through a taste test or a survey or whatever it may be, we can make the numbers say what we want it to say. Of those people with a high preference for X, 90% of them said yes. Well, of course they did, because they have a high preference for X, right? We frame it. Mm -hmm. That actually worked out to their advantage, though, if you remember, that was such a such a big pushback on that at the end of the day that it actually got them so much you know there's the old adage there's no such thing as bad publicity so they ended up getting a huge amount of positive publicity out of that and then ended up they increased their regular sales above what they had before because of it so it was it was an interesting dynamic some people said they did it purposely and it was all around a marketing plan whether that's true or not we don't know but certainly at the end of the day it worked out uh, it worked out for them well yeah. and we'll just see how x works out for elon musk <laughs> all right so what a good conversation any last thoughts on the first question uh how do you best use validation to prove product success before we move on to the poll i want to call back to something leslie said um and it was that if you are building and testing before you launch like with actual customers i think one of the things that you're actually doing is experimenting and mm -hmm. I think one of the, you know, we, we talk about all these ideas like discovery and whatnot, but I feel like one of the pinnacles of or ideals of products management is if everything that you build is an experiment with an intent to do that testing. So like if you build in validation within everything that you do, like it, it's like, we're going to build this feature and here's how we know it's successful right? Mm -hmm. That way you always know that you're measuring. Like it's that, it's that intent. Where is your intent to measure? It's like, it, it's not, it can't be an afterthought. It needs to be like mm -hmm. a thing that's innate in us where it's like, we're going to build this thing and here's the outcomes and here's how we want to measure it. Well, so and even like, before, yeah, even before we build it, we should have done some level of testing on the concept, right? Yeah, is this the right problem to solve? But, but yes. if we're talking about validation, right? It's not, is this the right problem to solve? It's like, what what is the outcome of solving this problem? Like it's answering mm -hmm. the question of like, what is the outcome we want to achieve? And that's like a level of validation. But really like, because I come from the world of validation is a heavy, heavy idea. Um, yeah. I feel like validation needs to be more on the reality side, like even if you're mm -hmm. doing that test of like, you know, doing that little discovery activity of saying whether or not this is the right idea. Yeah, you can have conversations, but you're probably going to build like a small prototype, maybe a mock up, maybe just like draw with your clients or whatever, <laughs> whatever it might be that activity, right? Like you're thinking about the outcome, you're thinking about how do we validate. So yeah, I, I get it. I, you know, uh, as I think about it, it's like there the test. I I, I want to find a way to get thinking in bets, right? Uh, Annie Duke really changed my perspective on sort of strategy. Uh, everybody uses chess as this sort of example of strategy, but in chess, you know what the outcomes are. You know, you know, the, the grand masters know exactly what they're going to do based on everything they've done. Uh, and you know, they can play a whole game in their head. There's, they have full knowledge where in, in poker, you don't have full knowledge. You're making decisions without full knowledge, which is really more akin to what we're doing when we talk about this stuff. So how do you, these, these experiments, these tests all should be giving you a better confidence in the bet you're going to make. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? I I'm trying to find the right way to, to work it into this, but, uh, I think that uh, you know, well, let me take it a different direction while you're thinking about it. I really like, uh, something I've been seeing in the last year or so of people putting 
questions on their roadmap instead of answers. Hmm. Would we retain more customers if we made onboarding easier as opposed to make onboarding easier? Um, and I'm even wondering about whether we want to add uh, customer outcomes, no, company outcomes to problem stories or user stories. Will this help us win new customers? Will it help us keep our existing customers or will it help us um, grow. Ex grow, grow the adoption of our product with customers? And if it doesn't do one of those three things, why are we doing it? I mean, even there, tech debt would be a thing that would help you retain customers or redesigning your, your interface would help you keep customers or, and perhaps win new ones, right? So it's, it's kind of a, just something I've been playing with, but I really like the idea of instead of saying new user onboarding as something planned for our, our next development phase, putting it as a question, could we improve this and would it result in retention. I like that. So let's just say I started that whole thing off with I agree with May again. <laughs> As I said, that's a very common uh, statement. I've actually been thinking about that quite a bit lately, too. We were just in a big uh, meeting yesterday with our sales and marketing team, and they were talking about goals and KPIs. And I said, well, I think we need to think about goals and KPIs from different perspectives, because there's the goals and KPIs that we want to achieve for the company with our product that might be measured in revenue, that might be measured in growing thought leadership or whatever you want to do. But then there's also the goals and KPIs that you want to do with the product itself as gaining adoptance or um, being able to provide some new kind of value to, to customers. I'm, I've been trying to figure out how to put all this in one, one thing <laughs> when thinking about road mapping and such. Yeah, and we've, we've talked before about how do you uh, measure this value you create for your customer. If you can actually get to the point where it's not just you're measuring their usage, you're actually measuring the value created. The, the, you know, every time they use it, they save 10 minutes. Every time they use it, they improve their decision-making, right? Getting to that level of uh, understanding of value, both for the customer and market, but internally for us and where it gets us as a company is such a critical thing to do. Uh, and for people to think about. Uh, one of the places where I think that a lot of product managers don't think in that, 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 in that lens or in that place. So what a great conversation on the Monday question. Uh, let's go to the poll. Uh, we did, uh, the poll on Wednesday, uh, and we asked, where do you see the most value from validation efforts, validating problems with a survey, validating product concepts, concepts through discussions, validating true interest from Frito or prototypes, testing features after development pre-launch, uh, or other, it depends, sharing comments. Uh, Danny, uh, was the one who voted 11% for the other it depends. She said, I think it depends on what you're validating, which in product management, everything's it depends, right? May, you went with testing features after development pre-launch. Uh, talk to me about your vote. I feel like if you could, um, I think that's the missing piece. A lot of the time, you know, we talk a lot about um, doing upfront work, but there's work afterwards, that after the launch. Um, we, we put things on the roadmaps, and once it's done, we have to move on to the next thing, and we never go back to the original thing to see, like, whether or not it was the right thing. Did we do it right? Are we, like, 80% of the way there, but with another week, we could make it 10 times better, right? Yeah. Like, that small bit of validation, we never do. And I think that's something that would be good for us to do and also would be good for us to actually put into our actual plans like done is when validation is over done is when we answer the questions of like did we actually achieve the outcome that we were going for done is when we've done our retro and think about like what do we have to slot in to make this whatever we built really really good or is it worth making it really, really good because like if nobody's using it, then we have a different problem, right? Yeah. Um, so I think it's, I think that is the thing that in terms of 
what product managers get to do is a huge piece, a missing piece of the puzzle. And because you're measuring, it's not about assumptions, right? You can validate your assumptions, but until you build the thing and actually send it out into the market, like it's not real. <laughs> so I yeah. feel like that's actually the most genuine impact you can make. Yeah. You know, that reminds me of a joke I used to tell in business planning. What you do, what you do in a business plan is just say you're going to make a billion dollars. Since no one ever goes back to reread the business case because they didn't read it the first time. They just went through and looked at the pictures. Um, you could say a billion and you turn in a dollar 92 in revenue, but nobody ever checks. And that's maybe an exaggeration, but still, um, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, we totally have to circle back around and say, we thought doing this new thing was going to matter. Let's be sure to validate that it in fact did matter. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that. Steve, you had not voted when I pulled this. And the reality is everybody on this call, uh, except for me and May, voted for the same uh, answer. I wanted to give you a chance to say where you would have voted uh, or where you voted. if you. Well, you know, answer. just to be friendly, I'll join you on uh, Predo prototypes. Okay. Just to be friendly to me or just Yeah, to... well, it's that, yeah, that is you that voted for it, right? Yeah, uh, I am there. <laughs> yes, I too was very taken with uh, that, the, the book that you were mentioning earlier. Um, yeah. And yet, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm waffling on my answer. I was just going to join you on prototypes, but um, I definitely personally have had much more value from discussions around what problem will this solve for you? What is the value of that problem? The old switcheroo. Yeah, you feel sorry. like you're gonna come my way and then you you, you jump on with a bandwagon. Uh, I will admit, I, I, I think I voted for the pre-dotyping partly out of, you know, just to have a conversation, right? I think, what surprised me the most about this was that there was zero, we always talk about, people always use surveys to validate. People always use the results from surveys to prove things. And not one person voted for surveys, which which surprised me. Well, uh, I don't think they provide a lot of deep information. They, yeah. Well, well but let me jump it, in it, on what he's saying. Um, I think that product managers like to have conversations with customers. And I think marketing doesn't. So they like to do a survey because yeah. that eliminates the whole need to, you know, engage with the market. Well, you know, I thought on the prototyping or prototyping or whatever, if I'm understanding that right, and an example of one where it failed and one where it succeeded. You know, IBM was going to do speech recognition way back in the 50s for executives, and they did the Wizard of Oz thing, you know, where they, 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 they faked it. They just had a typist behind there, and they found out that people didn't actually like it. Um, the executives, uh, the wrong market or whatever. Conversely, there was a speak and spell in, I don't know, the 70s. And it was so novel um, that uh, um, Texas Instruments back then would just say, here's 50 grand, go make a prototype of the thing that you think. And it was a, it was a huge success, but maybe you could have never, it was so novel that you could not have gotten feedback from somebody about the problem that it was solving. And you really had to have a prototype. And actually, the IBM example is one of the examples he used of a prototype. So what he, in the book, he calls a prototype Alberto Savoia, I think is the guy's name. Uh, oh, he calls I thought that it, was Latin for avoid the curtain. No, <laughs> could be. Uh, but uh, he said a prototype is a pretend prototype. Too often we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to build a prototype. Yeah. Can we do something a lot cheaper and mechanical Turk is one of the ones, the, the fake front door or the landing page. Just do a magic trick. In, the, in that type of stuff. And so yeah. that's what and he's I talking about. I want to agree with Clay uh, and extend it a little bit. Um, well, shoot. I, I was so concentrating so hard on jumping in that I, I forgot what I was going to say. It, it'll come to me in a moment, I'm sure. But continue on, Grant. It, well, you know, back, back I to apologize. the apologize. So I, I was being a little provocative with my vote, but I think what it is, is I did use survey some and 
I always, you know, because people say you wanted data, you know, in my experience, I, most of my validation was in validating product concepts, concepts through discussions. That was my, that was a specialty of mine. If I feel like there are times where I may not have truly got the, understood if it was a willing to pay. And I think prototypes would have been, I, I'm, again, it's also novel to me because I just read the book. Uh, but I think if I could add something to my arsenal that would have helped me do a little better job of validating that people would pay for it and it was something it would pay for, uh, I think that that's something that I uh, would aspirationally would have liked to have added. So we're going to get to the people who who answered validating product concepts through discussions, and we're going to give you guys all a chance to defend it. Um, Clay, I'll start with you because you- Hang on, I want to jump back in. The other bad, the, the thing I was trying to remember was validation, traditional validation sorts of um, research are no good with new ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, I, some of you have heard me tell the story of the um, Slinky. Remember the Slinky? Mm -hmm. It's Slinky. It's Slinky. Yeah. Yes, Not one. one store would carry it because they didn't get it. And so he asked um, the big department store in Philly uh, if he could have just a corner kiosk for a Saturday. And he set up a little um, seesaw so that the slinky could walk down it, right? He sold every single unit he had made. And in the space of like less than 10 years, sold basically one slinky to every person in America. Um, and yet all of the feedback he got was negative. But he knew from the neighborhood kids that they loved it, but he couldn't get anybody to believe it because well, their the kids were, was the not kids telling were, them. Their survey wasn't telling them that people would want this. Yeah, the kids were hiring Slinky to do a job that wasn't already being done. That's the problem. <laughs> and nice how often do we have a completely novel approach like Speak and Spell or, or the Slinky? Yeah, right. And if you remember, the iPad was the same way until we saw it and we went, holy moly, every other company was saying, we're going to build netbooks, which is like, take a bad laptop and shrink it down and make it a shitty laptop. And that's now you have a netbook. Well, really, the, the iPad was, we're going to put a, t a TV in your lap. <laughs> in a way. That's what everybody does with it. You just watch things. There's something, there, there's probably a whole uh, episode we could have on the problems to solve of uh different apple products and how they're moving them up and down let back to the poll question dutch you also voted for uh, product concepts uh with discussions talk to me validating product concepts with discussions talk to me about your thoughts well being able to discuss things with customers or prospects or users um is is critical i mean yeah sure you can put out a survey and maybe that'll reach more people in less amount of time um but People are, are not as likely to spend the time and effort to expand upon their, their answers, especially if you only give them a li limited number of things that they can check box or, you know, hit the radio button for us you know, for a choice. Uh, even the, you know, what else would you like to say? They're not going to sit there and spend 10, 15, 30 minutes, you know, writing out all of their thoughts. Uh, whereas a discussion itself, if you're really trying to, to validate and then follow up with discovery of what next or how well this is doing it, sure, it, it answers, the, it solves the problem, but does it do it well? Is it something that you would pay money for? I mean, those other critical questions, you can only really get honestly through a discussion and, and not a phone call because so much of conversation is, or communication is nonverbal. And so being able to, to interact with, with another human in real time is the only way that you're going to get 100% accuracy or close to it for um, validating what you've done, what you want to do. Yeah, and, and you, you made me think of another book, uh, The Mom Test. And in The Mom Test, he talks about using emoticons uh, in his notes, right, to, sh to talk about what were the reactions that people had. And it's you you can't get that in a survey uh maybe on a zoom better in person but i think that you know between seeing how they react viscerally right their expressions their interest level that type of stuff 
uh, as well as seeing what skin they put in the game. Will they refer you to other people, that type of stuff. There's some things you can get in there which may, may be more implicitly give you validation than uh, than otherwise. So yeah, and if it's if it's a working either prototype or you know a, a working functional you know actual like pre-release version or something, doing a shoulder surf and like watching how they will use the product is much better than you running the demonstration saying, oh, hey, now this is yeah. where we go, blah, 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 or having something specific, like actually watching how the, what their journey is going to end up being and what their experience is based on that. Yeah, no, I get it. Paul, any thoughts you want to add? So a couple a couple things pop up, and, and to soften it with the Predo Proto, uh, that is something that I, I've used in the past for something that that as we described before, just didn't exist before. And the only way for someone to experience it is to have something tangential that they can then say, here's what that would look like in my world. Oh, wow, that would have really helped me last week and start building that, that information up. And to Steve's point in the chat about people can only tell you what they did. Um, that's where I think a lot of the conversations come in for me uh, Teresa Torres gave, gave a great example um, at one point about discovery, saying that if you ask people something as simple as, tell me about what's important about a pair of jeans for you, and then you ask them, well, how did you make a decision on the last pair you bought? And then they give you a wildly different answer than, than what they said was important. Yeah. Um, and so when you actually look at behavior, it tells you a wildly different story that you can get out of a conversation that a survey people are trying to get the right answer um, like oh boy what are they going to think of me if i don't put this down uh, kind of like political surveys people think oh man what are they going to think if i say that i'm against immigration or, or whatever so you get these wildly skewed things of what people think is the right answer for the particular question um, even with as as articulate of a forked survey as i can come up with It'll take me weeks to get through a bunch of different stakeholders. I get to five conversations and have 10 times the understanding in that amount of time. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. Uh, and, and again, in the mom test, they talk about uh, have them describe what the last time they had to do that or make that decision. Clint, I want to go to the uh, comment you made in the, the chat, uh, sort of getting to what Clay had said. Uh, different phase, different validation for different phase of the process. Yeah, so one of the things that we haven't talked about is validation of the business case, right? We've been talking primarily on validation of the feature set. And I mean, as a product manager, anybody that's a good product manager can make a business case sing, right? I mean, it's, it's relatively easy. Um, and then you focus on the features and you don't focus back on the validation of the business case. So I think it's, it's basically a dual process. You're looking at feature function value proposition as you're doing validation. But as you're doing that, you also have to ensure that you're still validating the business case because I've seen products that are that absolutely meet the requirements, but they significantly fall off the business case for whatever reason. And that is, you know, the business case, typically the way I've seen it is you do it, you present it, and it goes into a file, and then everybody's excited about developing the product. So I think it's in, incumbent upon a good leader in product management to basically make sure that you've got a dual track going down, that one has a direct implication on the other. Yeah, and actually, if you go through the, the order, mine was almost in, in a process-type order. Validating the problems with a survey was my business case-type stuff. Let me get some quantitative stuff to put in a business case. Validating product concept through discussions, that's when I would go talk to people. Here's what we're thinking. Here's what we're thinking about. What do you think about this? Then I'd go to a pre to a prototype. Okay, e each of these as stage gates, then finally into testing features. So I almost built this in a process realm. Uh, but that's, I think that's the right answer is that it depends on where you are in the process, what, what you can get the most value from. Yeah, I when, wanna... I, when I had product managers working for me, that was the key focus for me was on the business case, right? Let's get that down and then let's focus on how did you get there? What your assumptions? And then we look at what the features were um, or the product requirements. So versus flipping it, it's on, it's flipping it's on its head. Yeah, I, I wanted to get to one question, new question quickly before we went to the key takeaways. And May, I'm going to start with you. And maybe I, I wanted to go in and change it and just drop experiment or validation out and have it just should experiments be part of a product manager's compensation? 
Steve tells a story about uh, customer calls was part of his bonus. Uh, he had to make a certain amount. Uh, if, if experiments and validation help us reduce risk and make sure we're working on the right, on the right it's and whatever it may be, should that be something we put into the, the MBOs or OKRs or whatever of the compensation, whether it's your MBO or your, your bonus? You know, should we be doing that, May? Should we be making this something that's so critical we, we comp them on it? Uh, I feel like it is a part of your core job. So like, would you like a, if you like a job, then it should, I guess, you know, you get paid for <laughs> it. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I, you can't quantify it, right? Because there are small experiments, there's big experiments, there's experiments that takes years. Like it's, yeah, smaller experiments are more important, but like you don't want to, you don't want to like do that thing where you pay people per code push, right? Like yeah. you want to pay people for the value that they bring. Um, and like just doing experiments, like are you doing the right experiments? Are you doing the experiments well? Are you actually driving business outcomes with it? Like, no, I, I don't know. Like it's, it's a weird question. I, I, and, and maybe we, we, Steve and I were working on it and we had many iterations. Maybe is it like, how do we, how do you better build experimentation into the day-to-day -day of product management? Well, like if that's your question, then that's different. It's more, how do you make time for it? How do you make time for people and say, okay, you as a team done isn't done until you've like measured the outcomes of what you launch, uh, leading, lagging, whatever it means, but we have to build in that time into the system of how we work. It can't just be built this and then the next thing and then the next thing. Like it's, we're, we're talking about a product here. Like yeah, e even within Scrum, like how does that work within the larger organizational framework? And it's a question that everyone needs to ask themselves, like not just product, beyond product. I like that. Any last thoughts before we go to the key takeaways? One thing that, that jumps out to me is the, um, if we were to look at that in the same way that generating leads is a good thing for sales, but you don't just want to fill the hopper full of garbage. So understanding that where, where are you finding friction in your process of learning? And then what, what do you need to do to solve that? I, I'm not sure if there's a great way to uh, turn that into a KPI, but uh, you, you certainly wouldn't want to just suddenly uh, flood your system with with stuff just be, just to have more stuff. So how, you know, maybe saying we want more experiments, but we want more quality experiments. So there's some way to measure the efficacy of right. Yeah, there's some downstream thing that can be measured to validate and provide yeah. feedback. Well, but, maybe you know, the hope is that if you encourage them to do some experiments, they will use them wisely. That's a good. Hope. That's a good call. Yeah. And I was, you know, the the situation that Grant was talking about. I was in a new role, and my boss had seen what had happened to uh, another product manager who came came on board and was immediately inundated with development support and sales support requests. And he said, "We don't have any good market insights. We have some reports that we've purchased, but nobody has been doing customer discovery without a sales objective." meaning nobody's been doing customer discovery. And so he's like, to make sure you understand how important I think this is, I'm going to pay you your bonus on making your 10 calls every quarter. And when I say 10 calls a quarter, half the people I talk to go, oh, yeah, that's perfectly reasonable. And the other half go, I'm lucky to get one a quarter. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the, the, the part that the, the joke part that Grant didn't tell was almost instantly, my wife got involved in this compensation plan. And she's like, how are we doing on our customer visits? Cause you know, baby needs new shoes. Well, put your money I, where your mouth is, right? Yeah. Wow. And, I, and, and, and I think where I, we were going with this was, you know, how do you start building a culture where it's expected of you to do this stuff? Right. Where I, I believe validation experimentation is something that is on the list of things we should do. It's one of the first things to get dropped. It's easy to drop it because uh, people have gut feel and or they don't have time or they don't have money. 
And I that's why we add, put continuous learning at the center of courts. There you go. And I would also add, uh, Grant, that it shouldn't just be done with customers, right? I mean, service is yeah. critical. Are you doing design for manufacturing? Are you doing design for service, depending on if it's a hardware software platform? So you also have to look at who you're validating with to make sure that you're not ignoring a critical subset of your customer. Because at the end of the day, service is a customer, just like your client. Completely and totally agree. Uh, let's move to the key takeaways. You know, what's your biggest learning or takeaway from this conversation? I'm going to start with Clay. Uh, I think that all of the responses are appropriate at different stages in the process. Yeah, and you have to I be very that. careful about what question you're trying to answer. Right. Uh, a survey is confirmation of something that you're you've you've discovered. Discovery calls different, et cetera, et cetera. No, I get it. Clint. Um, just that it's critical, all different phases and making sure you're talking to the right people and using the right methodology during what phase of development you're in. Love it. Paul. I think like most weeks, uh, I learned that uh, we need to make sure we understand the word the same way. The validation has been taken by everyone to mean something just a little bit different. That was where I was heading with that. Yeah, Dutch. Similar. Uh, validation can be a phase that is um, that happens in a life cycle, but in all honesty, validating and learning are probably the center of courts. Mm -hmm. huh. Ooh. Oh. May. I think. I think we need to do a bit more work in terms of building in experimentation in everything that we do. Um, because if we talk, as we talk through this, it's like validation as an activity, but it's not an activity. It, it really should be like, you know, if you're building something, it's a test, it's an experiment. If you treat it as such, your experiment isn't over until you actually go and measure your results and report mm -hmm. on the outcome and share that, right? Like maybe validation isn't for you. Maybe validation is a way of communicating what you've learned. Oh, I like that. My friend, Steve. Well, gosh, I, I'm going to do a, a yes and, I guess. I mean, yes, language is so important. The, what you mean by a word and what I mean by a word is is often very different. And I think it's a good reminder. Uh, but certainly, you know, my key takeaway is we should not think of learning as a periodic thing, but as a continuous thing. Totally agree. Uh, I was starting at the beginning when we started these key takeaways where Paul went, right, is maybe we need to be better about our words understanding. And I think what I evolved to just hearing everybody's answer is this is not maybe it's a, it, it, we do need to change the language. This is not about validation as it is about reducing risk, about helping us make better decisions, make, making better decisions with limited information, uh, making better bets. Uh, and, you know, sort of where Paul started with this whole thing, conversation with, you know, understand sales, right? It, it, yes, no may not be the right way to do some of these things. Uh, maybe it's about what at each stage it's what information do we need to know to make the decision uh to make the better you know to feel more confident about the outcome we're trying to get to and so if we do outcome-based experiments and tests that help us make better decisions uh maybe it changes pivots us away a little way from validation i i as throughout this whole call my i've got so much stuff in my head right now uh that i'm gonna have to process but uh, great conversation you know great panel clay Clint, Paul, uh, Paul, Dutch, May, uh, my friend Steve, great conversation. Uh, we're actually going to go on a holiday. Uh, we're going to take the rest of August through Labor Day week off. So there is no topic for next week. Uh, it's our holiday period. Uh, not that Steve and I won't be around in the community, but uh, we will. So, But when we come back the week of September 11th, as with every time we do this on Monday, the question goes into the community on Wednesday. We do a poll on Fridays. We have these amazing conversations where you guys bring it. You, we all learn 
uh, we all have great conversations. Uh, and I thank each and every one of you for that. And I'll see you guys in the community. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to Product Conversations, brought to you by Product Group. Product Growth Leaders helps product leaders and their teams remove the chaos from product management and achieve product success on purpose. For more great content and to learn how we do this or to join the conversation, visit us at productgrowthleaders.com. If you haven't yet, go to your Apple, Android, or favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And join us next week for another episode.